Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi everyone, my name is Louis Strong and welcome to my first episode of Headstrong, a podcast where I sit down and have a chat with a variety of well-known individuals about their struggles and vulnerabilities in their lives and careers that have made them who they are today. These feelings of self-worth, anxiety and vulnerability can be experienced by anyone and so I hope I can provide you the listener with some inspiration to get you on a path to becoming Headstrong, to believe in yourself to talk about your vulnerabilities and reinforce your self-worth. So my first guest is Dr. Alex George. We sat down to not only discuss life on Love Island, but I really wanted to talk to Dr. Alex about his unique outlook as both a celebrity and a qualified medical doctor on mental health and well-being and how all of us can go through rough moments. Dr. Alex George, thank you so much for coming to have a chat with me. Uh, thank you so much for asking me to come in. I was yeah. really excited to be here. You've had a pretty big last 12 months, right? It has been a bit of a, a big year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Not one that I really expected. Um, I definitely, I do like kind of look back and think, you know, last February when this all kind of started, if you like, or I became aware of what might be coming, um, I'd never believed it really. It was literally my birthday last year, February the 15th. Put that in the diaries, everybody. Um, in the diary, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd a night out with my friends, and I think I was, I was the next day, I was uh, recovering from maybe a slight hangover, and I got a message through on Instagram about Love Island, and then it all went on from there, really. So you got, you got contacted and poached, did you, for, for Love I Island? I don't know if it was, if it was poached. I, I still, honestly, to this day, don't understand why, really, they messaged me about it. I didn't have a particular following. Um, my Instagram page was nonsense, really. There's nothing particularly exciting on there. Um, I don't know. They... They said come for an interview, and I kind of was quite reluctant, reluctant to start with. Actually, sure, it took a lot for me to kind of go. 
because I, I mean, I loved the show the year before, absolutely loved it. And actually, there's a funny moment on the final of last year with Chris and Cam and all that. Um, I said to my mates, do you know what? I'd actually love to go on that show. And I said it as a joke, never mm. applied, nothing. And then obviously that came through. I was like, what? So yeah, one day I was like, do you know what? I'll go for an interview. And um, it literally things just, one thing happened after the next. I went for an interview one day. Um, and the next day they called me and said they want you to meet the execs. So I was like, okay. So okay. that, that, that went pretty quick then. Yeah, it did. I mean, do you know what? It was so close to me not actually doing it. And I'll tell you why. I turned up for the interviews. Um, there was 15, 16, 17 other guys there. And to be honest, I felt like a fish out of water in, in that you were a bit intimidated about I was really that process. I was intimidated by the people around me. Like, they were not necessarily people that I... You know, they're just very, they're very different to me. I think a lot of the people that would, and I mean this in the nice possible, possible way, like a lot of the people that go on Love Island are very extroverted, loud, confident. I'm not, not really, I'm more introverted as a person, to be honest. So I was a bit like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if I've got the chat or the personality to do this. You know, these guys are, you know, tanned and big lads and all that. What mm. chance have I got? Um, and then I, I was like, you know, I'll leave. I'm not going to bother. I thought, no, let's, let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. And I was one of the last to be interviewed out of everyone. Everyone asked me there for about 20 minutes. And my interview was like an hour and a half. And I was like, gosh, this is weird. That must have gone all right then. Um, and yeah, literally the next day, I was cycling home from Lewisham Hospital after a busy day in work. My phone went off, pulled over on my bicycle and answered the phone. And the guy said, look, we loved you. Want you to meet the execs? Met the execs, I think, almost the next day. And then they were like, we want you to start the show, like to be an original. And I was like, What? Better get in the gym. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. I listened to that on your on your first episode of your podcast, mm. and you were like, "Look, I got told," and then I was like, "Right, I've got twelve weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to start now." I, I mean, you know, you know what it's like. I mean, you're you're you obviously for a living. You know, you're you're an actor, and you've you have got to look good as well as part of everything else, isn't it? And uh, there is a lot of pressure, obviously, on you know, particularly on TV, and especially in that kind of show that people are judging you for how you look. It's animalistic in a lot of ways, and um, you want to be in the best shape you can. It, that is, that's just kind of how it is. There are expectations of you for being yeah. on screen, but actually, yeah. why do you need to go on TV and have a six-pack? Obviously, this, the show is generating, uh, you know, Love Island's creating uh, this, this thought of, you know, you should have a perfect relationship and all that with body image and stuff. But actually, you look at Jack, for example. Look, he was not... He's a gorgeous human character wise and physically I still think he's lovely looking but he's not exactly your stereotypical beach bod you know um, bodybuilder absolutely I mean you know and I say this very honestly because it is the pressures that I felt so I'm being very honest about that and I think Love Island has opened a conversation where everyone's gone well, hang on is this right like is this a representation of society is our worth really placed on how many abs we've got or haven't got or whatever and actually I think it's fantastic that Jack won the show you know I'm very good friends with him he'd be very happy for me to say that he didn't have abs he had a very you know he was in, I think he looked perfectly fine but he wasn't kind of body fat percentage of nine or ten percent which who cares about that anyway, yeah. really? Who, who honestly you know, who looks at honestly the numbers? Cares, yeah, and th- cares about that stuff. But that's the pressure sometimes these shows, I think, just by the nature of them, they put you under. And I was really proud of Jack to win it. And you know what? I think I had a fairly average... I think I was in fairly good shape, but I wasn't kind of ridiculous or anything. And actually, my focus since the show is much more with exercise and things like that, is to, A, look after my physical health and actually how fit I feel and how well I feel, and also my mental health as well, because... Mm. You know, I, I think exercise is so important, but if, it's, if the focus is on the wrong thing, if the focus is about aesthetics or getting that perf- perfect Instagram picture, I think you can get really astray. 
I think that's really interesting that you've mentioned social media there, because on top of the, the TV and film aspect of what people should be looking like, people are posting photos of what people think are perfect lives, perfect bodies, but we don't, we don't know how touched up those images are uh, and you know what angles they're doing. And also, you spin the camera around, where could they be? You have no idea. It's like Love Island, you're filming this gorgeous villa, but everyone's seen those photos of what, they, what you're looking out on on the other side of it. It's actually expectation versus reality, that common phrase phrase that's thrown around i think yeah with you know instagram and social media these days everyone wants to portray a perfect life and i think particularly if you think about people coming off shows like love island which it's an aspirational show that's the words that united you use and i think that in a lot of ways that's really it is a feel-good show but coming when you come off that show you're almost expected to portray this lifestyle of partying you know ocean beach club and ibiza and holidays everywhere and and everyone feels a pressure to do that and i think that's why i very consciously gone do you know what i'm not doing that i'm going to show myself going on the tubes that i normally ever would um i show myself doing very normal things in my life and i'll just really display like my passions which you know is health and promoting um you know uh, healthcare you know for young people really i think you can easily get dragged down that road route and i think Probably it's fair to say some islanders have. A lot of them, in, in fairness, are now trying to change that and are trying to show, do you know what, this is what it's like, particularly off the back of recent things that have happened, yeah. you, know, you know, the sad passing of uh, uh, Mike and stuff. So we are, I think people are realising there are changes being made, but it's quite a lot to overhaul a mentality, mentality of a generation, which is what, what it really is. I mean, we'll come back to talk about Mike in a minute, but when, when you came out the villa... You had a, probably a couple of months of self-promotion of stuff, just because everyone, you've got to do that stuff, right? Because no doubt you've probably got it in your contract with ITV, whatever. Um, but then you went to Instagram and you said, right, I'm going back to a and I'm going to carry on. I've trained as a doctor. I've worked freaking hard for four or five years. I don't know as a doctor, actually. But you've put in the hard yards and you went back to A&E. Like, I think something, like? so I, when I came off the island, and I say this actually because I, it was a decision I made day one. Um, a, I always knew I was going back, and B, to a and I mean, and B, the other thing was, I said I'd never do a club PA, which I didn't, yeah. and I'd never do anything that I didn't believe in. I'd never work with a brand I didn't believe in. And I think that was so important for me, because, you know, let's be honest, I could earn a lot of money doing PAs, and there's nothing against people who have done PAs, because that's naturally maybe what they enjoy or lend to, but for me, I wouldn't enjoy it. So I said, do you know what, I'm going to do what I believe in and what I enjoy, and, you know, at the end of the day, it makes me feel good in doing. So, yeah, I, I kind of... I've, that's what I've stuck to throughout, really. And there was a day when I was like, when will I be ready to go back to a and I need to go back. And I woke up one morning and I remember calling um, my manager here, um, James Grant, and said, do you know what? I'm going back. And I literally picked the phone to the hospital and said, I'm ready. Can I come back? And they're like, yeah, we'll have you booked in a shift two or three days later and where to go. And actually, it was the best thing I did. It was so important for, for my mental health as well to be back in a place that I knew like this world can be very strange and is fake in a lot of ways mm. but in A&E it's real life it's there's nothing else that makes you feel present than a situation of life and death yeah. it's a real realization of what matters and I think for me going back to work it was a real wake-up call did it create a uh, brought back a sense of normality after those whirlwind few months absolutely you know I think my head was in a very I think I hadn't found myself to probably January this year in terms of like settled in properly because I did go through a lot on the island I think I probably had a rougher journey you know yeah. I, even on its even in the sense of having nine weeks of social isolation well I say social it's not social isolation um 
even having nine weeks of being isolated from family and friends, not having a phone, not even knowing what time of day it is. I found that bizarre. That's tough. That is tough. Being told, you know, and I am an independent person. I've been working as a doctor for four years. So I'm used to being making, you know, maybe higher decisions. Like in the island, you're not able to choose necessarily when your meals start having or when you're, you know, going to the toilet. Things are more controlled. And it's not that. And I get that. It's part of the production. It's part of what you agree to. And I'm not complaining about it. But it is something very different to get used to when you come off that it's like whoa what has happened kind of thing yeah sure i mean with uh, do you know what just going back to you go, going back into a&e there were two two instances literally from the time that i've known you in the very very short space of time that i've known you it's when i missed your phone call that just to talk about what we we're going to talk about on this podcast and you just messaged me being like oh i'm busy now i'm just getting on the train and i was like that's so nice that you're actually doing normal things that normal people do because so many people would be like look i'm gonna i want you to book me a car get me wherever whatever but then also and then today when you just called me and said look i'm nipping into prep do you want a quick yeah. coffee like, yeah. like you know that's normal things and it's re- like that shows it's how so humble you are it's so important I, I you know the thing is for me i never went on the show like can hand on heart said never went on the show for fame to be honest as much as anything it was honestly like a a yolo moment i hate to use that word but it's like do you know what this is something so different that people like when would you get an opportunity to do something so you know on a sunny island i've been single for four years i was like why not why not? Um, and I thought, to be honest, I'd be on there for a week, especially when I walked in, I got like completely par better. And I was like, yeah, my belief was true. I'm going to be out in a week. And I thought, Joe, I'll be back in a and I said to the consultant, I said, I'll see you in a fortnight or I'll see you in like 10 days. Um, so I, I didn't believe that any of the rest of it would happen. So yeah, the, a, lot of the, a lot of it with the fame side of things, I think there's very much pros and cons. I mean, I yeah. guess I don't know how you, you deal with it, but it's kind of... I it's don't kind yet. Of, well, it's just kind of... <laughs> I don't know about that. But I mean, the thing is, it's kind of... There's good sides to it, and people are so lovely. And I get like, you know, I was on the way here today, I was stopped, and I was, a small dog was shoved in my arms to have a picture of this dog. No and way. I was just like, this lady would love me being like, I really love what you're doing. Like, I'm really pleased with the work you're doing with that mental health and stuff like that. And that's a really positive side. But... There's also negative sides. You get some serious trolling. You know, I had some slonker trolling me yesterday, you know, making comments about what I'm doing. And I'm just like, people can be so um, outspoken and vicious, really, when they don't have a clue what they're really talking about. I think that's such a valid point, And this, this will tie in nicely with what we're going to talk about next. But I think what people forget is, regardless of whether you're famous or not, you're still a human being who has feelings and you can all, all suffer from mental health issues. You can have eating disorders. You can be bullied. Anyone can, have, anyone can experience these things. And I think trolls in particular with, with online and social media, it, they don't realise that actually a few words can go a very long way because so many people are built either with high walls, you know, emotional coping mechanisms, but actually some less so. And I think that's, it's, people don't realise that I, it's I, I always say that um, I try and use it as a phrase that at the end of the day, whether you've got one follower or a million followers, you're still a human being at the end of a phone. And that's the way to think about it. And that's what people forget. Because people do. They, and I know it's like in a way, because obviously like a year or so ago, I looked at all these people who are famous and thought, you know, they're almost kind of like out of reach, if you know what I mean. They're kind of like a distant figure. Like, you know, if I message them, they're never going to see that message. But actually, it's surprising the stuff you do see. I mean, you do get a lot. And I'm not saying I, say I sit there and look through my DMs all the time. But it's amazing what you do see, particularly if it's posted. You know, this person that wrote about me yesterday was, he's got like 30,000 Twitter followers. So he's very well aware that there's a chance I'm going to see what he said. Um, but you know what? Like I always say, 
in life there are always going to be people trying to bring you down doesn't matter what good you do you know if you look at it objectively I'm not so being arrogant but you know, I work in A&E I've probably saved you know a lot more lives than that guy has as a football pundit whatever he is um, <laughs> and you know I'm trying to do something positive in the world and I'm not being arrogant saying that that is factual you know that is my belief but um, you know you'll always have people like that who will try and bring you down at the end of the day it's their unhappiness and their deep-rooted you know insecurities that is making them speak and behave in that way. Like, you just can't let it bring you down, whether whatever you're doing, just believe in yourself and, and, and crack on, really. Yeah, well, I mean, when you said you're going to see your, your colleagues in a fortnight, I think you, you said you were going on for love, you've been single for four mm. years, but I think you already knew you were coming out because you were going to be famous to an extent, and you were like, actually, I'm going to use this platform to promote things that I believe in. And the fact that your, your podcast, for example, is promoting all things health uh, and giving advice to young adults, which hopefully that this podcast is going to help with. Um, but then also, it's also the people who are catapulted into these situations of fame so quickly. You came, went in probably with you know, maybe a thousand followers or whatever, and you come that out with a million. I, I came out, I went in with a 200 followers, I think. Yeah, and then... <laughs> and, and, look at, and then that it's difficult because people are then scared to speak about it and I think that's something that we really need to talk about because there's this there's this pr- thing of toxic masculinity where people are trying to be so macho and tough and saying oh I can cope with this on my yeah. own but I think the most important thing actually is to be vocal and speak about it what would you say as, as a doctor but then also as somebody who uh, pro- like you will have met Mike right yeah. so that what would you say about that? I mean, you know, with regards to, you know, the Mike situation, it's obviously incredibly sad what's happened and, you know, thoughts, as I said before, go to, to his family. I met him once or twice. He was really actually a very friendly chap when I met him. Uh, really, seemed like a really nice guy. Um, obviously, there's not been a full inquest into what's happened, but it's, you know, it's believed, or at least there's been a lot of talk, that it's death by suicide. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just incredibly sad. I think we do have a big problem, a wider issue in the UK with particularly young men, being awful at speaking out. In fact, the Samaritans um, did a survey this year very recently and found that two in five men who want help, would like to seek help, would never dream of doing so because they'd be afraid of the kind of stigma and you know backlash of doing it, which I think is very frightening. Um, and you, if you think, you know, every... You know, 90 seconds, 90 seconds or so. You know, someone's either taken their own life or attempted to in the UK. It's 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 scary, and I think part of the problem is that, particularly our generation, portraying this perfect life, and people be also being unafraid that therefore to admit there's a problem. It's a big issue, and I think men are terrible at it. I think you know, it's, it's a, it is a stereotype, but broadly. You know, I think in a st- statistics do kind of go with this. Women are a lot better about saying, do you know what, I'm not feeling very good today, or giving a call, chatting to their mates. But if you're a group of lads out in the pub, everyone's just taking the mick out of each yeah. other, saying, oh, you know, your girlfriend's this, or your football team's that, or whatever. No one wants to actually go, do you know what, mate, I haven't seen you online for the last few days, or you haven't, you know, you haven't been chatting in the group very much. Are you all right? It's rare to find that in a social situation with your friends. I mean, actually, I'm very fortunate with my group of friends um, because we, we know each other so well to a point that if someone's not been very vocal for a while, you know, the people are going to step in. But I don't think many people have that support network because, so the, I mean, every every relationship and friendship is different. But it's like that, that fantastic um, thing you raised up with the Samaritans as well with that Brew Monday which was brilliant. And I know that's only one day of the year, but actually people should take inspiration from that 
the whole, the whole time. So do you want to just explain what that was? Yeah, so um, Samaritan's Brew Monday campaign was about was based around really just taking a moment, taking five minutes, taking ten minutes, just sitting down with a friend, family, a relative, having a cup of tea, and actually having a proper chat about how that person's feeling. And, you know, I agree, the concept, you know, even though that's one day, the concept can be throughout the year. Actually, I heard... Um, I was chatting to someone the other day, actually, and this guy was saying that in his group of friends, they uh, what they do is they they do every fortnight they hold what they call a conference on the group on the WhatsApp, and the conference is about asking each other, "Is anyone got any problems? Anything anyone wants to talk about?" And if someone says, "Yeah, there's something to talk about," one of them will have a call with the other person That's and just brilliant. chat about it and it's just like it's so easy everyone goes yeah I'm fine or yeah no problem and it is very open apparently because at least one person out of the group will say actually I'm having a bit of a works rubbish or whatever and then someone will give them a ring and I think it's just a great idea just like, it's such a good concept like a little quite a little you know meet up a board meeting every fortnight just I to check that, in that's really important to say as well because it Everyone thinks mental health, oh, it's, it's, you don't know what, what triggers it. But it can be as simple as having a bad day at work. Yeah. And then that can, that can grind you down. You can end a relationship, you're being bullied. Um, you, can, you can have, uh, anything can trigger these feelings of self-worth yeah, and anxiety. The, uh, anything can trigger it off. And in fact, you know, when we look at like high risk for like, you know, very depressive episodes or, uh, you know, feeling suicide, it can be, you know, a breakdown of family, you know, a loss of relationship, loss of a close family member, something work-related, finances, you know, there's anything that can happen. And often I think it's, sometimes it can be like the straw that breaks the camel's back, you know, if something, if you're having a bad run of things, then something happens, you break up with a girlfriend or whatever, that can be enough to kind of really push someone. And, or, you know, it's in some cases, all that person needs is that support over the coming months to, to build themselves back again, to get back to where they were. And they would never have done anything or you never, never have considered suicide. But sometimes in that moment, if there's no one there to, no one there to catch them, they can fall through that net and, 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 and really sadly do something that, that could have been prevented. Do you know what? I think... I'm just going to talk about myself for a couple of seconds. Basically, at the beginning of this year, I went through a breakup and I had feelings of suicide. Mm. And you can't help these yeah. sort of feelings. Yeah. I think that's what people are, are scared about is if you get these feelings, you're like, oh, no, why am I having them? This, isn't, this, this doesn't happen to me. Um, but I think I held it in for a while. And then I said, you know what? I actually need to tell somebody. And I just told my mum. Was, she wasn't a therapist. I told her and she goes, do you know what? Thank God you've told me now because... Now I, I'm able to support you and I can check on you. And then eventually I told some friends and then I built myself back up to being <laughs> headstrong. Um, but yeah, it gets you, you know, you, you really need to tell people about what you're feeling. I think, in, you know, and it's really amazing that you've, you've openly said that, you know, uh, in this situation, because it will help, you know, the people listening to what you're, what you're talking about. Uh, People don't realise sometimes that, you know, everyone, mental health is like a, a spectrum, I think. It's like a continuum. I don't think there's either good mental health or bad mental health. And if you have one or the other, you're not going to be stuck with that for the rest of your life. Or, not, you know, it, it, can, it can go between the two. And I think a lot of that depends in what, on what happens in your life, you know. If you think of, like I said it the other day, like a, a games console, a health bar, you know, um, if you're 100% fine you know, things can knock you down, you know, if there's a few things that come together, you know, like, you know, breaking up with a girlfriend, um, it's a big part of your life, you, you take a big hit from that, yeah. um, and, you know, you can drop to 30% happiness, and you need to get back there, 
doesn't mean you can't, but in that situation, we do all of us need help. We're not, we're not designed to be individuals on our own, you know, dealing with life on our own. When the, things aren't good, we need people around us. We're, to we're sociable creatures. That's Absolutely. the whole point of what y- y- human beings are. And so we thrive off attention. Whether you say you're an introvert or an extrovert, you still do benefit from talking and speaking out loud to other people. And I think that's what people don't quite appreciate, is that there's always somebody there who is going to be listening to you. And, you know, uh, just a question for you, really. You know, when you kind of felt better, did you feel happier than before the breakup? Did you feel stronger when you'd kind of had people people around you realise you need help? Did you get back to a stronger place? I'm still in the process of getting there, but I certainly feel like... I've I've become, I've come a long way, and also it's brought a lot of a lot of people closer to me. You, you realise who really does care for you and who's there for you, and that that means a lot. And everyone says, oh, you get you learn lessons from breakups, or you learn lessons from you know being fired from work or whatever. And absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Because I think it is a part of it is that we do learn from things, and when we have the kind of positive support networks, we I think you do end up you know in a position where you you can be even you know stronger. When I say stronger, I don't mean you know, stern and not still speaking about feelings. And what I mean is being more open, being really mm. um, open to your friends and family. Because I'd imagine now you'd be much, you'd find it much easier to speak to your mum about any further problems or your friends because that door's open now, right? Yeah. God, so I feel it like gives I'm you in strength. GP surgery right no. now. <laughs> it's brilliant. No, but it's true. I mean, I, I've been through a similar thing. I had a breakup four years ago and it was, it's tough and it takes a long time. And um, yeah, you're invested in someone. It's not just relationships, but, you know, anything that's going to, you know, that you feel is going to take or change your life in a certain way, it takes a lot to to go over sometimes. So for you personally, when I was doing my research, you talked about your time, you went to Exeter University, which I did as well, which is great. Um, But when you were training, you went to Truro on a placement, right? And you said that you, I mean, you got to a point where you were slightly mentally unstable. Yeah, I think I I was on placement. I was down in Truro for a couple of years uh, in the hospital and stuff. And it's a beautiful part of the world. But I ended up feeling quite isolated in a certain way I had some friends I had most of my friends down there but I still ended up feeling quite isolated from my family um from my girlfriend and things and I think that kind of put me in a place where I felt kind of lonely in a way and that that wore me down it sounded you know weirs you down over time and yeah eventually I was like you know I need to actually speak to someone I rung my mum actually like you did and said I'm not feeling great and she rung me every day and we talked about my thoughts and feelings every day until I started going, right, I can start, you know, making a positive change here. And my friends as well, and we just kept working on it. And actually, yeah, within three or four months, I was in a much stronger place. Because uh, before that, I would never have said anything to anyone, to be honest. So you briefly touched on exercise at the beginning, which obviously is strong, that helps your, your mental frame of mind. But what other, as a doctor... What other mechanisms or things do you prescribe in terms of, you know, just helping people feel comfortable to speak out but get better as well? I try and think of uh, mental health rather than just individual things. I try and look at it as like a um, multifaceted approach. So whether it's exercise to help with endorphins and mindfulness, whether it's what you're eating, you know, that definitely plays a role uh, in mental health as well. Your work, your family, your friends, and also looking loving yourself and looking after yourself as well. You know, giving time to meditate and relax. There's all sorts of aspects in that. And Seeing it in that way, I, I think, gives you the best chance to have, you know, good uh, mental health. I think a lot of the time people, when things start to go the wrong way, they drop the good things and pick up some bad habits. So then maybe they stop going to the gym. 
the food goes out the window, they stop doing mindfulness because they don't really feel like doing it, they don't want to chat to their friends because they're feeling down, and they start drinking, maybe taking things they shouldn't take, and actually it's a spiral then, you've dropped all of the things that are kind of protecting you and might build you back up because it's hard, and sometimes you don't feel like going to the gym when you feel rubbish, but it's realising that those things are necessities to keep you going, really. What would you say, personally... Um, to somebody who comes to you as a GP and says, look, I, I need some advice right now. Because I've, I've read a lot of, with therapists that men in particular, they, they don't want to go see a therapist because they, it talks about, they talk about emotions a lot in therapy, which obviously I've been to as well, and I don't mind saying that I have been because it has helped me. Uh, but men want the solution straight away, and I think that's what people don't realise is it's, therapy isn't... They're not going to rustle up this solution because there is no right solution. But going to a therapist is beneficial to talk about these things because even if your friends or family that can't talk about it with you and you don't feel comfortable with it, their job is to confidentially talk about it with you and hopefully help you out. Yeah, so if your mental health, you are struggling with your mental health and you know the other factors aren't enough that we've talked about, then the, the treatment of, of, of mental health conditions is, again, multifaceted. So um, if you were to go and see a GP, uh, the first steps would be, yeah, try just admitting that there is, is an issue. And I say admitting, it's almost like as guilt, you know, I don't mean that at all. What I mean is, um, you know, opening up and just in taking those first steps and talking and letting someone know that you're not okay, because that's absolutely fine. There's no weakness in that whatsoever. Then the next steps really are... One, looking at medication. Are there medications that can be a benefit? You know, if you're depressed or anxious, um, some medications we use, uh, it's called SSRIs, they help boost the serotonin, the, the mood hormone in your, in, in your brain. A lot of people think, oh, I don't want to take a pill because that just tries to make it all go away. It's false. Not true at all, actually. If you think of the pills of almost like an energy boost, it gives you the energy to fix the issues that you have. It won't solve them, but it will give you a little bit of energy, a bit of a, you know, a pickup in a way when you need, when you most need it to get you going. Then, you know, therapy is a great, great way of, you know, being able to open up in a confidential environment with an expert who can, who is also out looking in on your situation. It's sometimes hard when you're talking to family and friends. It is really helpful. And I think it helped me a lot. But it can be difficult sometimes because you need that outside expert perspective. So that I think therapy is very useful as well. And depending on what the issues are that you have, there's lots of different types of therapy to, to be had so there's there's loads of different kind of treatments and it's about yeah looking at the approach from all different aspects together with the lifestyle changes that i think will help a lot of people it's also important to say that this is obviously not only exclusive to men as well yeah, yeah. i think people obviously you yeah. did say that yeah no it's, much it's, better at yeah, it's, about. It's, it's to everyone i mean this you know what i'm talking about the lifestyle and and the treatments it's it's for everyone you know it, it is really for everyone you know taking those steps opening up speak to someone you know your gp will have dealt with um, you know the same thing plenty of times you know and that's not to say that you're not an individual but it's to say that they're there to help you and they care and they're not going to judge you or think that you're, you're not successful you know, my worry was when I was like oh I'm feeling you know down at the moment oh well you know will the medical council think that I'm not strong enough to be a doctor will I be weak will they not let me pass and that's absolutely rubbish you know i I did well at medical school and I went to a very good hospital and stuff and it, it hasn't made a difference to, I think, my performance as a doctor. So, you know, don't see it as a failure at all. We'll, or everyone will go through a period of their life where they're not feeling 100%. I don't think there's anyone that has lived an entire lifetime without having a rough patch, that's for sure. Definitely. Um, talking about when you came out of the villa and stuff, um, obviously it is massive in the news has been because people are talking about the support of 
big corporations like ITV. Um, and it's also now becoming a massive issue for corporate companies as well, who are, feel obliged now to provide support if somebody needs to go see somebody. But for you, when you, you came out of the villa, what did you think the support was like? I mean, I, I know you spoke on ITV yeah. News uh, a couple of weeks ago, but... Yeah, you, you do your research, don't you? <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I can only speak you know, from my perspective. So ITV, I think, were were really good with me. They, I, I asked for some therapy given everything that's happened in the summer. You know, I am very happy, but there has been some things that I kind of wanted to go through. And I asked for therapy in the morning. By the afternoon, appointment was being organised. So I, for me, um, you know, I've got to say it was good. But I, I, again, I can only speak from my own perspective. I do think that looking at companies, organisations, employees as a whole... And I've said this before, I actually think that providing um, access to mental health support, signposting, um, you know, at least, should be part of legislation. When you talk about health and safety, we always talk about the physical components of, of health and safety. But I think mental health should be a part of that as well. It should be within the infrastructure of every organisation that there is an appointed person that someone can go to if they're struggling who then can, you know, put you in the right direction or put you in contact with services that can help. That that really should be part of legislation, in my opinion. It's also not exclusive purely to companies as well. I, just while I was doing... I've been working on this for a while, and all universities and all students now pretty much have access to a student well-being centre or, a, you know, an organisation within the university or a school that are there to help provide support, which is incredible because if you think five ten years ago they probably wouldn't have had that um that platform to give support to students and i think students really hope i hope now are able to and young young adults are able to open up and speak to these people i think we are having positive changes at the moment awareness around mental health is is obviously huge at the moment um there are changes being made but i guess another aspect that um i kind of like to mention really is that it's all very well it's raising awareness of this and uh, you know that is really important i'm not taking away from that but we also need to make sure the services are there the nhs is very stretched at the moment mental health services are some of the most stretched in across the whole of healthcare really uh, in the community if you re- refer someone to see a psychiatrist they could be waiting six months so i think we i think we need to make sure that our um you know mental health services are properly funded because the people working with them are working really hard but if you haven't got enough staff haven't got enough funds you know, with a with a population that's growing and a more awareness of mental health, we're going to struggle. Completely. I think people often look at mental health and they go, oh, that's not a real illness, where we now know it really is. People can really struggle mentally to cope with this stuff, and that's why the, the, the infrastructure on mental health is becoming so much more relevant in today's society, which is brilliant. I think, you know, I, I, I've tried to say before that Mental health and physical health is one. There's no, you can't really pull the two apart. If your mental health is poor, you're not going to want to go and exercise. You're going to eat poorly. You might drink a lot of alcohol. You're going to end up with heart disease or possibly diabetes, heart attack, stroke. So that's a, a physical um, you know, expression of maybe mental health problems. Um, and then the opposite direction, if you've got poor physical health and you're not able to do the things you want to do, then your mental health will suffer. If you can't go out and go for bike rides or go on holidays because your physical health's poor, it'll affect your mental health. So there's no way you can, you can, you can separate the two things, actually. Definitely. Okay, uh, Alex, what piece of advice have you held on to in your life that has really kind of helped you get to where you are today? And what do you think that someone might benefit from this? So when I was at medical school, I had a little bit of advice from someone, and they said, um, particularly when I was probably struggling a little bit, 
do in life what makes you happy. And what I, what I really took from that was when you come to crossroads and you're trying to make decisions, you're trying to, um, yeah, kind of like take a path, a journey in, in life, focus on what you think will make you happy and, and, and what will improve your life and the, and the people around you as well. Sometimes we worry about the decisions we're making because, you know, oh, I, I, what will other people think or will I get judged for doing that? Forget about all that. What what will what is important to you and what will make you feel enriched and happy and that's that's the most important thing for me i think people realize that you can have unconditional love for your friends and family but at the end of the day the most important person should be you you your self-preservation is the most important thing well it's also a part of like um if you're not happy then how can you spread happiness and joy and care and love and compassion to people around you um i think a lot of the time we end up doing things in life because we're expected to or society expects us to do it for example like with social media you know i I look at social media and go, yeah, I could try and do all these pictures, uh, you know, taking modeling pictures in the corner of a whatever. Um, but actually what makes me happy? And that's what the question I asked myself was doing things related to healthcare and, um, and whatever, you know, so I think that's, what's so important. Just, just go with what, you know, follow your heart, go with what you believe in. What does the word headstrong mean to you? I think the word headstrong to me actually means being open and having the strength within to share how you truly feel. I think headstrong isn't about being stern, it isn't about being quiet, it isn't about um, just getting through life on your own. It's about having the strength to open up even when there's a pressure to keep quiet. That was very good. That's going to be the opening of the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Guys, definitely go check out Alex's podcast, which is? The Waiting Room. Um, We've got another episode coming very soon, yeah. Um, so yeah I hope you guys listen to that really tune in and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast uh, thanks so much Alex and for coming you. in really appreciate you. it thank you to you so much for, for asking me to come on the, on the show it's amazing what you're doing I think people will really benefit from you being so open so fantastic and good luck with auditions thanks <laughs> thanks man What a brilliant first episode with Dr. Alex. Thanks so much to him and his expertise on all things mental health. What a seriously inspiring individual and long may it continue. If you want to follow Dr. Alex, go check out his Instagram page and his podcast for more. So that's it for episode one. If you like the podcast, subscribe. It's all for free so you can catch the rest of my brilliant guests coming up in this first series. If you loved it, also just tell your family and friends. We want to reach as many people as possible to continue raising awareness about mental health. Thank you once again to Dr. Alex, to Jack Graham Thomas for editing, John Primrose, Harry Neal, Jack Huxley, Independent Talent, Neil and Georgie, and of course, to all of you people for listening. It means the world, so I hope we can get you on a path to becoming headstrong. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.